Welcome to the First Time Facilitator Podcast. Whether you're a first-time facilitator or a seasoned pro, listen in for tips and tricks to make a bigger impact at the next workshop you deliver. And now, your host, Leanne Hughes. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Leanne Hughes, and I'm here to help you design fast, deliver strong, without stress. This is a limited season of the First Time Facilitator in the lead up to the release of my new book, The Two Hour Workshop Blueprint. And I'm excited to bring today's guest on. I met her at California, actually earlier this year at Andy Storch's Talent Development Think Tank Conference. She was a fellow speaker and actually sat in her workshop about organizational culture. I just loved her energy, her vibes and what she was sharing. So I thought I'd bring her on today. Her name is Dr. Michelle Robertson and she's a self-confessed talent development nerd. She's also a certified professional in talent development and her background includes training, delivery, performance improvement and managing learning programs. In this conversation, we had an awesome chat spanning across many different topics as what you're probably used to in, in these chats on First Time Facilitator. What was probably most inspiring and the red thread between all of the content Michelle shares is that it's not about finding opportunities, it's about creating opportunities. And she shares a couple of really great examples of how she got her first leap into delivering workshops and how just these opportunities were not there, roles were not advertised, but she sought ways to make things happen. Michelle shares how she prepares for workshops in a very different way that no one's actually shared on this show before and that she really focuses on how can she fall in love with the topic that she's delivering. And the example is email etiquette, but I think it goes for any workshop that we're delivering. It doesn't actually matter what the content is. It's how passionate are you about presenting that and sharing that and workshopping that. And that will come through in the way that you deliver. I also really appreciate Michelle's humor and her presence in workshops. Of course, I have to ask her how she incorporates humor into her workshops if it's something that she practices beforehand. She shares how you know things outside of work helps her hone her humor and connect things. Michelle received her Doctor of Education degree from Baylor University and holds a Master of Science in Education with a specialization in training and performance improvement. Dr. Robertson is also an experienced career and professional development instructor, and she has taught over 500 corporate courses with her evaluations consistently rating above average. I would say very much above average, <laughs> just from based on my experience with her. She's fun, awesome, energetic, and smart. You can find her work at drmichellerob.com. I'll put a link to that in the show notes for this one, which you can always find at firsttimefacilitator.com. And of course, if you'd like to continue the conversation when the show is over, join our community of over 2,000 facilitators from all around the world, asking questions and sharing tips in the Flipchart Facebook group. And please, at any time, like tag Michelle, tag I on social media if you got value from this and share it with a friend. Now, onto the show. I am so delighted to welcome onto the First Time Facilitator podcast, Michelle Robertson. Michelle, it's so good to have you on the show. Thank you. It is so exciting to be here. Like I'm a listener. Now I'm a guest. This feels so great. It feels so great. And like, I was actually, I mean, I was a guest in one of your workshops in real life in yep. California. I was part of that. I just, I mean, anyone that is or that even meets you is just attracted to your energy, your high vibe. You just, um, yeah, you have this like inner, it just radiates. And so I, I had to get you on the show. Now, um, Michelle, I know a bit about your work, but many listeners may not have heard of you. Can you please share a bit about your career history and the work that you do now? Absolutely. So I am a self-proclaimed, described talent development nerd. I love this stuff. So in my regular 
I don't know, the work hours are a little different everywhere around the world. So in my eight to five or nine to five, I lead an L&D team for a financial institution for a large community bank. We are housed in seven markets across three states. And I lead the learning function for this entire enterprise. It is super rewarding to be the person in the L&D space who gets to make decisions from my seat. That feels great. And I don't take that for granted. I've also had experience in more of a talent development partner or learning and development partner role in healthcare. That was a pretty wild ride working in healthcare. That's a fast paced industry. I was in healthcare when COVID struck initially. And then I've also have some talent development experience for a corporate training center. So think of a third party outsourced vendor, if you will, where organizations who don't have talent development teams could outsource their training need by sending their employees to a center to learn where I would be one of those instructors who would welcome your employees in, or I would come out to your organization to do professional development or computer training there too. So I kind of live in that space. In addition to all of that talent development work, I am often speaking at conferences as either a breakout session presenter or a keynote or leading some sort of workshop on the side for a company or another business, because I genuinely want organizations and people to get learning right and to get teaching adults right, Uh, because adults still want to learn, they're still very interested, and they're still teachable. So I absolutely love doing this work, whether I'm doing it in my nine to five role or on the side in my spare time as a side hustle. Yeah, you're very busy. <laughs> and uh, I, I can hear that passion coming through. I'm sure our listeners can as well. I, I just want to, I mean, back to that workshop that I went to that you ran. I know we're going just to a deep dive here. We'll, we'll bring it a bit higher level later, but you're talking about organizational culture. And the thing that I love that you kept promoting was the importance of like talking to your frontline people. Can you share a bit more about that? I think it's, you know, often we try and solve problems in our own like, workshop rooms without actually getting out and speaking to the people that these things will impact. That is right. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah. The people who sit in the rooms to plan activities for frontline people mean well. Let me say that. They have the best intentions. They want to put on the best employee engagement initiatives and the best training. There's only one teeny tiny problem. They are creating these things without input, meaningful input from the frontline. This is as simple as asking frontline people, what will engage you? And listening to them truly, and I got to tell you about this revelation I heard, and it kind of, it blew my mind. Are you ready for this? I'm, I think I'm ready. Okay. You know how most organizations do some sort of employee engagement survey? Yeah. All right. Questions on that survey range from things like, do you feel psychologically safe with your leader? Do you feel valued? Seen? What about your pay? Great questions. The questions are not the problem. I love the questions. So we ask these very sensitive, very personal things in these employee engagement surveys in hopes of hearing from the front line. Check and check. Very good. What I find interesting that blew my mind was the things HR teams and companies are doing to engage their front line have nothing to do with the responses from the survey. How does an employer provided lunch equal psychological safety? How does this new Tumblr that I don't need equal I feel value and I feel seen? The activities don't match the questions and they certainly don't match the responses. So I often find that companies will say, yeah, we do ask our frontline people for their opinion, 
I just think there's a huge disconnect that they haven't married together. Frontline people, sure, they like tumblers and socks and backpacks and office swag, and that's all really cool, but their most innate needs get unaddressed. Like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, their need for security and belonging doesn't get addressed. Or if I told you, hey, my leader actually is not a great person, that doesn't get addressed, but you want to give me a new t-shirt. So I'd just like to see more of a connect there. So I kind of have this ride or die spirit for frontline employees because I don't find that many people advocate for them. Yeah, that was, and I, when you were saying that in your workshop and sharing that, I was like, it was so refreshing to hear that coming from, Mm -hmm. you know, because, and a lot of the great ideas come from the front line as well. So I'm Mm -hmm. curious, I mean, you, you speak, you run workshop and do all this stuff. Like, how did you start finding your feet in this world? And what was it like when you were running your first uh, workshop? Like what was going through your mind? I love this question because I don't know if you get it a lot, which you probably do. The namesake of this podcast is for people trying to get in the field. And it's really great for us seasoned folks too. Trust me, it really is. And this question could be like a standard question you ask every guest because people say to me, how do I get in the speaking circuit? How do I break into it? And my my start was a volunteer role. I was in this place of, had just finished my bachelor's degree. So I am 22-ish. And I was finding myself or searching, what is it that I really, truly am passionate about and want to do? And when I landed on adult education or learning and development, organizational development, you know, we have a lot of names for this thing. I needed some actual experience to do it. So I had the aha moment. I want to teach adults. I didn't know in what industry. I didn't know how. I didn't even have the language. And one day working in my nonprofit job, I worked at a kid or child mentoring nonprofit organization that's well known in America called Big Brothers Big Sisters. And I was a case manager there and I saw a flyer for a local community college who was offering classes for people to earn their GED or I think it's graduate equivalent diploma. And the flyer was for people trying to earn their GED. And I don't want you to miss that. The flyer is promoting that And they have around the heading things like the topic, science, math, English. And I saw career development. And the ambitious, eager beaver in me said, I wonder who's facilitating their career development. That's interesting. And I sent an email. Uh, I said, hi, my name is Michelle. And I am interested in learning. I don't think I said talent development. I probably said career development. And I said, you do not have to pay me. I just need some experience. I want to learn. These guys took a meeting with me. And I say these guys, they were actual guys. Okay, I'm not generalizing there. And they thought I fell out the sky like an angel. And they said, (sighs) oh my goodness, you don't want to be paid. I said, no, I have a job. I really just want to be able to come in, teach your career development content to these young adults who are 16 to 26 years old. And they, it was off the shelf training. I didn't have to curate training from scratch. I didn't have that skill then. And I'm thankful for that. And they, they had my instructor manuals. They had the PowerPoints loaded. And so I went on my lunch break. I went on my lunch break to this community college and I was in charge of the classrooms. And it actually gave the two men who ran the program an opportunity to take a break. And that's how I got my start. And I used that as actual work experience to land my first a talent development job. 
in that 2014. is awesome. And what I love about that is like, it wasn't even a poster for a job, as you said, yeah. you're like reading between the lines and looking for the opportunity and seeking it out. It wasn't a yeah. job ad. It wasn't, you know, you actually were really proactive in yeah. finding that. I think like, I think my first start was yeah, same at work, just volunteering to co-present with someone outside of the scope of my role, just because I wanted that experience in front of a room. And how did yeah. you find it? You know, you're in there, this is like, you know, you're running these workshops for yeah. a whole new organize, like organization of the students. How did you yeah. prepare for that? Yeah. Uh, prepping it, it looks different for all of us. I, I think the way I prepared for it is one, I wanted to get familiar with what these young adults were learning as it relates to careers. It was really an education for me as well. And so it's really just for me, it was as simple as reading over the materials. How did I prepare really? If I zoomed out a little bit more and say, how did I prepare to even reach out to an organization to make the big request to teach? I have tried everything that you could possibly imagine. I did the cheesy career surveys that says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the responses were so embarrassing. I saw responses such as bartending, a philosopher. And I said, okay, I can't go this route. This is a little too broad. It doesn't know me. You know, it's an algorithm or artificial intelligence. It's something robotic, but it doesn't know me. And to everyone's surprise, I'm sure, I did something so old school I just took out a sheet of paper and I made two columns. The column on the left said, what other people say I'm good at. And the column on the right, what I believe I'm good Mm -hmm. at. And teaching and leading kept coming up. And I went back from experiences I had in high school, being in a junior reserve officer training for like an army program for high schoolers. It was being the battalion commander of that program. It was being student class president my senior year. It was all the things where I was in a position to influence. And I thought, what are the things that people often praise me about? And then I said, what are the things that I'm actually passionate about in teaching? And so once I landed on teaching, I said, okay, teaching who? Teaching how? I knew I didn't want to teach children in a primary school setting, like a kindergarten through 12th grade setting. And I needed exposure. I needed to see it. So interesting plot twist, I guess. The nonprofit Big Brothers Big Sisters, where I was employed, we got a training grant from our state. I live in Louisiana. And there was this free training grant where companies who had employees under a total of 50 could get this free training reimbursed by the state. My boss said, pick whatever y'all want to take. And she sent me to a corporate training center. I took one class and I said, this is it. I want to teach adults in a corporate setting, in a, or, you know, private sector, in a very professional manner where there's a workbook, where the audience is different every day, where the students are different every day. And that same corporate training center where I was a student, I later became an employee. Uh, of course he did. <laughs> yes. And guess of what? Of course he did. They were not hiring. Leanne, I cannot make this up. I had went to a number of classes. I talked to the instructors. They didn't really give me the time of day. These were people who had been well-seasoned in the industry. They had been training for a while. Yeah. Uh, one of them respectfully was jaded. And she even said that when I started, very jaded, like the, the work didn't excite her. And I was still was not deterred, even though they didn't really give me the time of day in terms of replying to my email or inviting me to coffee to tell me more. Uh, and that did, that stung. I thought, gosh, I'm so eager. Just teach me how you got in the industry but I'm never defeated. I went on their website. 
I found the CEO's email and I introduced myself and he invited me to Baton Rouge, Louisiana to take a meeting. And I told him, I am only looking for an internship. I just want to learn. And he didn't have an internship program. He made one for me. And on the last day of my program, he offered me a full-time job teaching classes. I and so those, those same instructors became peers. They are currently friends. So it could be as simple as reaching out to instructors and asking them their story. And because that stung, I go out of my way to help anyone who asks me, how did I get in? Because I don't want to be a stumbling block or a barrier for someone else unnecessarily. Yeah. And the fact that you just kept going and you went to the CEO, like that you went up, you know, like most people would get that and then think, all right, maybe I just go back to what I'm doing. You know, it's hard yeah. to take that kind of rejection and then still move forward. What, what is it within you? Like what helped you get over that hurdle? I, just the idea of it's, it's the possibility. What if, what could be mm. as cheesy as that sounds, it drives me mad in a great way. I'm like, gosh, I didn't think the, the instructors were villains. I thought maybe they're busy. They've been on their feet all day. These were eight hour classes, by the way. So they're on from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. with a one hour lunch break. And I just thought maybe they don't have the time of day, but the idea that I could work there kept me going. The idea that I had only met two instructors when there was probably 11 teaching at the time. So if the CEO said no, I would probably try the COO before it became too obnoxious, but I, I felt that it was still all very professional and in good taste. And yes. I would have based out the request. So I would have yes. reached out to the CEO on May 1st. If he never replied, maybe I would have waited to the next quarter and maybe waited to my next class that the state was already paying for. And maybe then I would have said something to the front desk staff and just see what have landed there. And if not, I would have set my sight somewhere else. But I always thought, even though they probably said no, someone's going to give me a yes. So yeah. it's this hopeful, weirdly optimistic trait that lives in me. I love it. I love it. I thank you so much for sharing that story with listeners and also like your approach and how you think about it in terms of like, I think we always think about, oh, if I do this, like it's going to be bad, but as opposed to what you, you look at is, well, what if it is possible? What could possibly happen? And you're looking at the amazing infinite opportunity. So it's a different kind of reframe. So let, yeah. Michelle, let's just say you've got a, um, a workshop coming up. Uh, let's just say it's on Monday next week. And I've commented before, your energy is fantastic. How do yeah. you prepare yourself and get into that state before delivering a session? Uh, research is absolutely critical. Before a workshop, I need to know that I know as much as I should about the topic. I know that sounds basic, but it's don't take it for granted. Sometimes you can train for so much that you just kind of rest on the fact that you're a good speaker, but I love to add value. So part of my preparation to keep my energy high is to fall in love with the topic. It cannot be a topic that I'm dragging my feet on going, oh gosh, I got to yeah. teach them sexual harassment today. Oh gosh, this topic is on email etiquette. Find articles, blogs, blogs on YouTube, find Instagram influencers you like and people in the industry and Google words like email etiquette and find an aha that makes you excited. Because if you can speak from a place of experience and enthusiasm and excitement, it will win your crowd over. Remember, they only like it because you love it. 
if you are lethargic when you present, they're going to be lethargic as they listen. But when you go, I am so excited to be with you today. We're talking email etiquette. I know, I know emails can be the death of us, but today I'm going to make you love them. Are you with me? Because I am researching this, found some really cool hacks that I think is going to save you some time and help you to get along with the coworker. You know, the one, the one who replies all and get a little chuckle in and you're like, okay, I got it. Here we go. Are we ready? Chapter one, that kind of enthusiasm, but it's, it's because I researched it and I geeked out on it and I fell in love with something. It might be learning how to how to use the BCC field properly and not in some ridiculous, suspicious kind of way. So I, I want to encourage facilitators to fall in love with the topic. I completely agree with you. And it's like, if you're convey, yeah, I mean, you're there to sort of generate like inspiration and action and, and you need to have like an emotional connection to that. And what I noticed what you did just then, like, gosh, sign me up for email etiquette. <laughs> but like, and you even like you really incorporate humor into mm-hmm. this and is that um i know outside of workshops we had like dinner together and i've seen you in action you're actually very funny uh, <laughs> but like do you hone your humor or is it just does it come out in the moment like do you yeah. prepare jokes like what does it look like for you in terms of humor in, it's in interesting my husband always says that i could do stand up and i'm like ooh I don't oh know. yeah but facilitating is stand up sometimes yeah. isn't it yeah, you know? <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not honing it in a way that I'm rehearsing jokes. I would have to credit both my mom and dad for my natural funny bones or humor. They are hilarious. Like slap your knee hilarious. And I love a good belly laugh. It's a great way to de-stress. So sometimes when I'm super anxious because of all the work demands and all the speaking engagements, what could make me give a really good exhale to my body and give my body some release from all that tension I'm holding is to get on the phone with a friend who loves me for better or worse. And we just laugh at the silliest things and not take ourselves silly. I don't forsake sharing a laugh like people would share a glass of wine with a friend. I don't need wine. I just need a glass of laughs like you saw me at the conference. And that's me at my most vulnerable state. If I am not speaking very intentional and articulate on purpose for my audience, where I can just say it in my accent, in my way, and be as silly as I want to be, I am one being the most vulnerable and the most free that anybody could ever see me is when I am being completely fun and silly. So it's innate. I think it's a gift. Yes. Uh, my parents yes. are super duper hilarious and they're on the fly funny. And a lot of people in my family are. So I have a large family. My mother has seven other siblings and my dad has nine. That means I have a lot of cousins. So when I get around for a family gathering, everyone's quick and the conversation moves a lot. And so maybe that is how I hone it at a family yeah. function or with friends, not wanting to lag in a conversation. So to keep up, you have to practice moving when the conversation moves. And I bring that same skill in the classroom or in a workshop. If someone doesn't laugh at something that I think is a for sure laugher, I don't try that joke again with that crowd. I don't throw it away. I'll just go, okay, they didn't like that. That's normally my go-to laugh. I got And I tell myself, I don't know this crowd well enough. I've disconnected or I've never connected with this crowd. So usually the break, the class or the workshop break is my opportunity to connect. So I would find the table of people who don't seem that impressed with me. And I'll make small talk and go, 
So um, what do you do here for this organization? Tell me a little bit about that. Or if I know the culture or the country or the state I'm in, is it a sports team that they really like? Is it, you know, I'm in Louisiana and LSU women's basketball, they just won the national championship. That's a big deal. I will do that kind of research wherever I go because sports is not everybody's thing. Sometimes food is, sometimes it's the weather. But I find something to connect with or do a homework on the front end so that when I make jokes, they're culturally appropriate. One, I would never even touch, I wouldn't even come close to the boundary. But when yeah. I say culturally, not race and gender, just culturally for the region appropriate. If I've done speaking engagements in Denver, Colorado and Austin, Massachusetts. My Louisiana Southern United States humor does not land there. And so I have to find different things like, hey, I tried to eat one of these dishes you all liked. And let me just tell you, I needed some seasoning. I don't understand what you're doing. <laughs> you know, that might That's get a laugh. So I'll kind of do homework and connect with as many people as I can before the workshop, during the breaks, and even after the workshop, if you're doing another. Sometimes the first class is your testing class. And if you're going to be doing other sessions with those same group of coworkers, not the same, but from the same company, they'll give you so many great nuggets and wisdom and insights that will make delivery number two and three so much better. Mm, yeah, it's a really good insight about humor. And I've certainly been workshops where I've had like a go-to joke and you've used it and it hasn't worked. And, I, and I'm thinking, what the heck? Like, it's a weird feeling. It kind of is uh, disarming in the fact that you then follow up by just how can we connect better? I actually like that you mentioned the like the southern states and going to like the east coast or the you know the west coast because like even when I went to California from Australia, I'm thinking how do I leverage being Australian with this group of Americans? And so one of the activities my friend Tom does is like a lineup where if you agree, you say yeah. If you disagree, you say nah. Like in a very Australian way, and yeah. it wouldn't. I mean, it's kind of funny in Australia, but in America, it was like really really funny. <laughs> and so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just like recognizing that you as the external person coming in, what can you connect to and how can you bring like that, right. that in? And yeah. we are like infatuated with accents in America. We yeah. love accents. So sometimes you don't have to be intentionally funny. It is saying an American word in your accent and it's not us laughing at you. It makes us almost feel like, wow, we've never heard that word said in this way. How cool is that? Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, <laughs> Fantastic. So you talk about um, your go-to laugh. I'm wondering, do you have like a go-to icebreaker or a go-to activity that you sort of like to use or, you know, even a way of working in your workshops that seems to land? Yes. I think you asked us this, uh, what she's not saying is she led a workshop at this conference about workshops. That is so cool. And I was so looking forward to it. And I remember this and it was so much fun learning everyone's icebreakers. My go-to icebreaker has to be a get-to-know-you bingo. So it is a one-pager, maybe nine squares, with things like has traveled out of the United States in a square. As I don't think I would ever ask if someone has children, but I might say has pet. If I do my homework for the region, I might put a food item there. So in Louisiana, crawfish is really popular, and it's weird. Most states don't have crawfish. Texas does but these are literally bugs that crawl in the mud. They're like mini lobsters. Oh, and you, wow. Yeah, and you boil them and you have a crawfish boil. It's a cookout, oh, yum. it's a gathering. Yeah, and you tear the tail off, you pinch, you eat. So I might say, doesn't eat crawfish because majority of the room will. And that's a good conversation. It works every time. 
I might say, is a New Orleans Saints football fan. So things, I don't always make them state and regional specific. I can go very broad from favorite color to um, doesn't eat dairy. Something that I think will be helpful to break the ice, but that bingo, it's a one pager, nine squares. And I'll say, okay, everybody stand up, stand up, stand up. I know, I know it's early or it's after lunch, stand up. Okay, okay, I'm gonna pass out a bingo card to you. When I say go, you're gonna move around this room. You're trying to bingo diagonally, horizontal, vertical, or if you blacked out, I got a bigger prize. You cannot get all your squares filled by one person. Here we go, let's go. And I'll put on some pop music, get it going, lots of movement and it's chaos. And it's so much fun. And the gift could be company swag. It could be your awesome book. It could be something really cool, but it always works well for me. There is something magical about standing and you're right. People are like, oh, I've got to stand. But once they're standing and moving, it's amazing. Like it's just yeah. the energy in the room just lifts. Hey, uh, Michelle, what's your advice for um, any first time facilitators that are listening in that either want to start running more workshops or get better at the workshops they deliver? I was hoping you would ask me this. Okay. If you're listening and you say to yourself, no one has given me a shot, be encouraged. You might have to showcase your talent in another way. So you're right. No one's giving you a shot. They don't know who you are. My first challenge to you would be, what are the existing communities you live in? Church, school, school organizations, clubs, sororities, fraternities, your homeowners association in your neighborhood. Use the existing areas of influence or communities you live in to showcase that skill. So if it is church, could you lead a session for youth or young adults or the singles? Could you um, volunteer to speak for a college organization? They are always looking for speakers. And guess what? They can't really afford to pay for Brene Brown to come and speak <laughs> or Simon Sinek for $10,000. And I don't want you to think, well, I'm chopped liver or I'm no good. Or man, if you compare me to Brene Brown, Brene Brown had to start somewhere too. So how cool would it be that you would leverage groups that uh, will let you speak for free? Because remember, you're not looking for the money if you're a first-time facilitator. You're looking for the experience. So your local university, you do not need to be an alumni there. Uh, pull up your local university. Look at their student life tab. What organizations currently exist? They always have an email address there, a contact person. And introduce yourself. Tell them what you can present on. And maybe you, and you, you ask them, hey, is it okay if I attend one of your meetings just to see what it's like? And then you go and you present. And all you need is that one opportunity and you do it really, really well. Someone's going to refer you. And then the word around town is Leanne Hughes is an amazing facilitator. So look within where you already go, what's in your natural habit, uh, your natural orbit, and see what opportunities exist to speak. And if you can't see them, ask about them. Yeah, I love that. Such a great theme that we've like you've woven through this whole conversation in terms of being proactive and finding opportunities and just reaching yeah. out and like that sort of effect that when you get one, you do a good job, you build your confidence and things just build and yeah. grow from there. If yeah. we've got listeners that want to reach out to you, Michelle, um, got so much to offer. Where can we send them? I, I love this. Uh, I live on LinkedIn. So you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I know my name will be listed here in the uh, show notes and on the title. So I won't spell it for you, but I do spell my first and last name a little differently. I am fine with you connecting with me on Instagram at Dr. Michelle Robertson. Hey, and TikTok. 
I post professionally oh, yeah. on TikTok. It's tips to help you thrive at work. A lot of the content is so transferable for frontline, for HR, for CEOs. I just did a five-part series just last night on all things salary. So I'm also on TikTok at Dr. Michelle Robertson. So I look forward to connecting with you. I, I follow you in most places, but not TikTok. So I'm going to jump off this call and find you there and be inspired by what you have to offer. <laughs> I, look, every conversation I have with you is just tremendous. Uh, thank you so much for the wonderful energy and learnings that you, you know, you build on yourself and then you share with the world. So thank you so much for being a guest on the show and sharing your story as well. It means everything to me that you invited me to be a guest. You are absolutely amazing at what you do. Thank you for this podcast and thanks for having me. Thank you.